Welcome to episode 17. We almost made it to 1,000, and I am so grateful. This week is a day early, as I send my American listeners a hearty, happy Thanksgiving Day, and to others a happy festival holiday according to your national celebration of thanks. This week's episode will also be a little shorter, and we'll be back to normal next week. This week, I'll wrap up my time at Nellis and have re-enlisted so I'm ready to start another four years in an organization that I found to be rewarding, despite the early setbacks in my career. This episode will provide the lay of the land as I go to a regular services squadron as well. Now let's see. Well, we left off last week with the third incident at Pizza Hut. Remember that I locked the floor safe open after closing and made that ill-fated decision to hide the money in the pepperoni box in the freezer. And yes, I then left a note in the safe saying where the money was. I have learned a lot from that mistake. I agreed to take a lie detector test before I spoke to Sergeant Miller. He had an attorney from the base come chat with me and gave me some advice. And while he didn't quite understand my story, I think he believed it was the truth. They advised me not to take the test. It seemed that if I stopped now and didn't take the test, that would make me look more guilty. So everyone agreed, and I took the test. I passed. I did not rob the store. Everyone with a key was asked to take the test since there was no indication that the store was broken into. That included the manager, the assistant manager, and one other shift leader. As it would happen, one person did not pass the test. In fact, one person quacked and blurted out what happened during the test. This person planned to steal the money that particular day. What I did made it just a little bit easier. Anyway, that person was the store manager. It was a scary couple of weeks, and I was able to go back to work, but I quit. A week week later, I was asked to come back by a senior-level supervisor. They offered me a raise again and become a corporate trainer. Well, that would be so that I would help train other employees in my hut and other local huts in the Las Vegas area as my schedule would permit. It sounded like a good opportunity, so I did go back to work for Pizza Hut. I continued my job in mobility and logistics plans and continued to learn a lot early in my career, contributing to the mission. Since the Thunderbirds were also at Nellis, Seeing them fly back from the test range where they practiced gave me a sense of patriotic pride. One thing that I learned working in mobility was seeing the interaction of a senior NCO with both a company grade officer and field grade officers. Most young airmen don't get to see that or experience it so early in their career. So it was a really nice added benefit. My last appraisal from Nellis says, He is extremely energetic and an aggressive individual. He accepts every task requirement as a personal challenge and with a can-do attitude. The commander, Colonel Tuttle, added, He is ranked among the finest young airmen I have ever been associated with. 
His professionalism, motivation, and military bearing place him far above his peers. So, it seemed I was on a good start, although I'm not sure if being an aggressive individual was actually a compliment. Lieutenant Colonel Gradian, who was the second most senior officer in the squadron and chief of logistics, had a going-away party at his home when I was about to leave. It was a lovely event. He asked me, What do you think about your first assignment? Well, I thought, aside from those early challenges, it was great. I learned a lot, and I'm ready to take on what I learned to my next base. He said, well, you were the first Emin Basic that we had in more than five years, and I told my folks they needed to be sure they took care of me. Thinking back, I remember that whenever I asked for leave, it was always approved, or if I needed to change my shift, that too was always approved. I guess it also explains why they moved so quickly when I was assaulted in the dorm. In retrospect, I arrived a naive farm boy from a Gochi Bend, and I left with so many experiences, good and bad, mostly a lot of growth. It was sad to leave Nellis. I was doing so with a line number for staff sergeant and going to the base that I picked as my first choice. It was on the East Coast, and I would be closer to the farm, so I figured I would be able to visit more often. I was also going to a services squadron, so I would actually be working within my career field, which I knew was important for my continued career progression. On January 2nd, 1980, I drive from Las Vegas to Hampton, Virginia, the first services squadron. Langley Air Force Base. It's a beautiful base. Langley is in Hampton, Virginia, and home to headquarters of a major air command, then Tactical Air Command. The area is also called Hampton Roads and is in a very military area. The largest base is at Norfolk, along with two naval air stations. There is Langley, there is a Marine Corps base, and at least five Army posts and camps in the larger Southern Virginia area. Some of those have since closed because of BRAC. I settled in, found an apartment, and was ready to see where this adventure would take me. An advantage, to be sure, of the military is that when you go to a new base, you start fresh. Take what you learned, and in some ways, your slate is clean. After taking a few courses at Nellis, I knew I wanted to finish my education. Since I figured I would be at Langley for at least three years, that would give me time to do that. I also wanted to continue my working at Pizza Hut because I was still a certified trainer and it would also help with my finances. Lastly, I wanted to truly delve into my career field and learn as much as I could since I was going to be promoted within just a few months of arrival. There is one aspect of the Air Force that I figured is designed to give both enlisted and officer personnel a boost when they get to a new assignment. When their performance is exceptional, they are often put in for a decoration or a personal medal. This is approved by the losing organization and forwarded to the gaining organization for presentation by the new commander. 
whether good or bad, typically they have grade restrictions who can be nominated for different levels of awards, and depending on the level, they are approved at higher levels of command for higher level decorations. As a senior airman, a few weeks after my arrival to Langley, I received my first Air Force Commendation Medal. These types of medals are often presented at a commander's call in front of the whole squadron that you've just been assigned to, and someone, usually the first sergeant, reads the citation aloud. You do tend to remember that first medal, and the first of each higher one that you earn. I remember that very vividly, and it was pretty amazing. For me, it was also reflective, of course, and that proud moment. Langley Air Force Base had three dining facilities. There was the main facility, a six-axe facility, which was a facility within a restricted area near the flight line, and a flight line kitchen that served the flight meals for aircraft crews. In addition, there was a food service office at the squadron headquarters with a food service officer, food service superintendent, and just two or three staff were assigned. The food service officer was a civilian, Mr. Kelly. I was assigned to the main dining facility. It was much larger than the small facility at Nellis. Remember, the facility there basically only served the 200 Red Horse personnel. This dining facility served the entire enlisted base personnel except for that six-axe group. Let me take a moment to explain who gets to dine, who gets to use the dining facilities on a base. Except for Six Axe, which was in a way like Red Horse and served the entire crew assigned there. Otherwise, the dining facility is primarily for enlisted personnel who live in the dormitories on the base. They are on a meal card, meaning the government pays for their meals and they are entitled to eat as many meals as they desire. In addition, the squadron leadership dine there to both show support and keep a check on the quality of the meals provided to their squadron members. In addition, during certain meals, normally breakfast and lunch, other military personnel can dine there and would pay a surcharge to do so. So, I'm assigned to a shift, and remember, since I was out of my career field for a bit, I was a little rusty, but I got into the swing of things pretty quickly. I met lots of new folks, and in particular, I became friends very quickly with some fellow airmen. The first was named Sam. Sam was Italian and proud of it. He was from Columbus, Ohio, which he used to call OH Tan. I also quickly started hanging out with another airman named Rudy. He was Hispanic and went by Gato, which is cat in Spanish. In pretty short order, Rudy and I rented an apartment together, so that worked out very well. Making friends quickly allowed me to get settled into the Pampton area. I really liked that part of Virginia. It wasn't too big, while it was still semi-urban. I had grown a lot at Nellis and was ready to tackle the world. Because I was being promoted so soon, I was moved to supervise the storeroom in just a few weeks. The storeroom, as you might expect, is a controlled area within the dining facility that orders, stores, and distributes the food for, for the facility at each meal. I had a staff of three other airmen. It was all very new to me, and the learning curve was steep. 
and yet the team was experienced. So the dining facility supervisor, who I quickly learned was a great leader, Sergeant Campbell, was an amazingly patient man, because I did make some early mistakes, like running out of food, and that never goes over well. We'll explore a lot of what happened, including some antics of the team next week. While at Nellis, my personal life was starting to be a little confusing. As you know from my upbringing, I didn't know a lot about adult relationships. I knew that I found some women attractive, and I found some men attractive. That seems normal. The difference was that I really wasn't sexually attracted to the women who I found attractive, other than I thought they were very pretty. Remember, this is before "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." Since I wasn't old enough to go to the bars early on, I didn't go out very often, and I was pretty busy with all that was going on in my life. After I turned 21, I did learn there was a gay bar in Las Vegas, and I decided to go there. So I did. I didn't go in. About the third time I went, I finally went in, and it was even added to my confusion of my who I was. I let that confusion sit in the back of my mind. As a young adult, I had a lot of confusion in my mind. A challenge, of course, at the time was being gay was not accepted in the military, and affected people's career by losing security clearances, likely harass harassment, and dismissal under less than honorable conditions. So it was a little scary. For me, being raped as a child also weighed heavily on my mind. It kind of gave me, in my mind at least, an inappropriateness to it all. Remember, there wasn't internet, and headlines in the news were generally about very activist LGBT groups. During the early years at Langley, I again set this aside and was busy with work. Being in charge of the storeroom definitely let, meant that I was working more hours, and that was probably good for me. In some ways, as I really think about this, in this time period—the 70s and the 80s, and even into the early 90s—being gay was challenging in this country. It was, in some ways, similar but different to the challenges I faced as an Asian American. I didn't quite know how to fit in, and at the same time, I truly wanted to fit in. in Across the spectrum of my the people that I was around, so I really think that as I have gone as I go through this podcast and as I share my story, my hope is that people who listen, that as you have your own challenges, whatever they may be, and there are many besides being Asian American or being gay, that you can find some solace in knowing that others go through similar thinking. And how do you put that aside? How do you dust yourself off? And how do you move forward? It's a challenge. This week, I am putting again the Safe Haven Baby Boxes link in the footer in the description. And as we come to the end of the year, it is a wonderful philanthropic cause that affects wee babies in a safe place for the parent who cannot care for the child. Every amount helps. They've saved already so many children. If you can give just five dollars or more this Thanksgiving, 
you will make many thanksgivings for a wee one that might otherwise be discarded for someone who feels they have no other option. I was saved from uncertain death. Helping so others might not face the same fate as me is important. I know times are tough. Tomorrow, on Thanksgiving, I am also going to make another contribution to Safe Haven Baby Boxes, and I just ask you to join me. I thank you for your consideration. The Boy in the Trash Can podcast is a production of CSJ Associates. I'll see you next week.